Hi, my name is Shamila, and this is my story of grace. I'm a junior at Texas A&M. I grew up Buddhist in a Buddhist family. My parents grew up in Sri Lanka and moved to the States to, to get their higher education degrees. I grew up in that way, going to temple regularly, and then I came to A&M. I hadn't ever spoken about Buddhism to anyone. I just um, had a lot of questions about the pain I saw in the world. I, I've, I've realized that if there was a God, I couldn't imagine us being a proper representation of Him with our selfishness and our pride and the way we hurt others um, and the way we are hurt. That's where I was when I was walking on campus one day and I saw a Gideon man who was handing out New Testaments. I remember, I actually remember this, putting it immediately in my pocket because I didn't want anyone to see that I had taken it. I just went back to my dorm room and started reading Matthew and that's when I learned about Jesus and just what his purpose was and the solution to all these problems I had seen and like what it was called, which is sin. And so end of freshman year, um, I accepted the Lord and I was really just happy and wanting to tell my family. I, I told my mother first, thinking that she would have the better reaction. I told her and she was just just heartbroken, I would say, and really disgusted slash disappointed. Um, it was just a very immediate reaction. When I just said the word Christian, it was just like a like recoil. She thought I had just become a completely different person and she couldn't recognize me anymore. And um, she just said she didn't want to have anything to do with me. And so that January, my sophomore year, she told me that until I accepted the truth about my family, but also about Buddhism and Christianity and things, and I kind of came to my senses and um, that she didn't want anything to do with me and she would keep her distance. She only wanted a relationship with me once we could kind of be on the same page. So that was about 14 months ago, and I haven't spoken with her since. Um, I've tried numerous ways and different times, but haven't been able to reach her. Like for me as a woman, I always wanted um, to have a good relationship with my mother and, and to have like um, have what other girls had in their mother, um, like a, a, a friend, but also someone who's gentle and loving. And um, <laughs> and so I have found through these past. 14 months that all those qualities that I wanted in a mother and a father as well because um, my relationship with my father isn't um, how I would like it per se. I found that in the Lord these qualities are infinitely more so available and I'm so thankful for that because just to know him and to, to get to experience these characteristics of himself that could be found perhaps in slivers in a human being, but in him are so just full and deep and are accessible to me at any time that I, since I know him and I can pray to him, I felt his comfort in multiple ways, I would say. He's really comforted me through his word and through Grace, um, the community here. I love Grace College. I love going there and I love sermons and the people. I've been blessed in the comfort he's provided. When I think about it, my first thought would be how he's completely changed my life. I never thought I would be a Christian. Like, I never 
It was, I was very detached to the idea growing up. It's crazy to think that I attend church and love reading the Bible and just know Him and pray. and There's so many things I just never thought would happen. Once again, my name's Chamoa and I've experienced grace. Well, I thought Chamilla's story would be a great way as we close out the book of Hebrews uh, this morning, a book that we've been in all year long. And um, if you've never heard Chamilla's story before, uh, it is powerful. Um, and, and I think it's a great example. It's a great picture, really, uh, for what the people in the book of Hebrews have been walking through and what we've been walking through and watching them walk through for this entire year. A group of people who came out of Judaism, a group of people who've identified with Jesus Christ. And as a result of that, They've encountered all kinds of trials, all kinds of tribulations, all kinds of rejection from family, from friends, from culture. And yet we found in this people, and even in Chamilla's story, we found uh, that Jesus is better than anything else. Um, that is perfect in his desires of relationships as we may have, whether that's siblings or whether that's parents or whether that's love. That in Jesus we find a perfect example of that of all that we could have hoped for. And as we wrap up this book this morning in Hebrews chapter 13, what we're going to find for this people who have been under stress and under difficulty, the writer of Hebrews is going to give them two closing challenges. Two closing challenges that are particular to a people who are under stress. And I thought not only is this book fitting as we close out, or this chapter fitting as we close out the book, but uh, this passage is going to be fitting for us, I think, as we close out a semester. And the next 10 days for you guys uh, is going to be a period filled with stress and filled with anxiety and filled with pressure. And I think much of what the writer of Hebrews is going to close out this book as a charge to these people could not be more fitting for you guys. In fact, I think the writer of Hebrews is going to call you and I to two basic characteristics that he wants to be portrayed in our life as we walk through stress. And so if you will, turn to be Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 13. Uh, We're going to finish the second half of this chapter and finish the book, a book we've been in all year. Hebrews chapter 13. Uh, We're going to start in verses 13. So if you have your Bibles, Hebrews 13, follow along with me. We find Hebrews chapter 13, verse 13. So let us go out to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the city which is to come. Through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips to give thanks to his name and do not neglect doing good and sharing for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Obey your leaders and submit to them for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief for this would be unprofitable for you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a good conscience desiring to conduct ourselves honorably in all things. And I urge you all the more to do this so that it may be restored to you the sooner. You pray with me. Father God, we give you thanks for this great book, a book that we've been able to walk through all year and to see over and over again your son's supremacy. Um, that he is supreme over all other things. And Father, I pray this morning, not just that we would see and be reminded afresh of his supremacy, but that we would be reminded as we end this semester in this book uh, in his sufficiency, um, that he is enough and that he's better. And Father, I pray this morning as we close this book out, Lord, that you would give us hearts that are open to you in the midst of uh, 10 days that we're about about to enter into with all kinds of pressures and stress. Lord, I pray that this passage could ring true of us as we walk through this next phase of the semester, Lord. We ask for these things this morning through your Son and by your Spirit. Amen. All right, as we close out this book, verse 13 kind of highlights again uh, who this audience has been. He encourages them to go out with him, uh, with Jesus outside the camp, bearing his reproach. Again, as we've been kind of walking through this book, these are people, this audience are people who have been under all kinds of stresses. They have identified with Jesus Christ, much like Chamilla. They've been excluded from much of culture and they've been rejected. And so the writer of Hebrews kind of portrays it as those who have gone outside the camp. They've gone outside where there's reproach and where there's shame. And for the writer and for the audience, 
obedience of the book of Hebrews, he says, come out with Jesus, where Jesus has gone and where we go and we identify with him, that as we identify with Jesus and as we choose Jesus, often we find rebuke and we find tribulation and we find difficulty. But in the midst of that stress, what I want you guys to notice and where we go that's kind of new this morning is going to be two basic characteristics that he wants to be uh, foundational and portrayed in their lives. And notice verse 15, he says, through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips to give thanks to his name. Ultimately, as we look at godliness under stress, the two characteristics that the writer of Hebrews is going to bring out, the first is this, that our lives would be characterized by those who offer sacrifice. He wants our lives to be those that would offer sacrifice. And he's going to highlight two specific ways. The first, as we kind of read, is that we would be those that would offer sacrifice of worship. He says, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise. Let us worship God. Let us offer up a fruit of lips that can give thanks to his name. May in the midst of stress, may we be the kinds of people that are gracious and that have gratitude that express praise of him. You know, as I was thinking through this in many ways, I think the, right, the book of Hebrews is a lot like the book of First Peter. And we get the same kind of thing in First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. To a people who had been scattered, to a people who were under pressure, under stress, and even under shame publicly, he says this, in the midst of the public shame that they've encountered, but you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Why why have they been chosen by God? For what purpose? So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. The purpose of God's choice of us is so that we could proclaim his excellencies. And that even in the midst of stress, even in the midst of difficulty, it is all the more necessary that we worship. And yet it will seem all the more insane. Uh, the quote I ran across this week that I absolutely uh, loved this week was a quote from C.S. Lewis where he talks about the necessity of worship. He says this, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It, it is its appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that love keeps on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it is expressed. Uh, that is why some of you guys are really verbal eaters, all right? Uh, you guys sit down in a meal today, a little bit later on at lunch, and you don't eat silently. So there are some of you guys in this room who moan and groan through your meal, all right? That's the way that you express your delight in your meal. It's also why some of you guys feel like you're dating your uh, roommate's boyfriend or girlfriend because you hear about them all the time time, right? Uh, your roommate just talks incessantly about the person they're dating because they're so encaptured. They're so in love. It is part of the consummation of our joy that we would express it. It's true for a boyfriend and girlfriend. It's true for food and it's true for our worship of God. And he says, in the midst of stress, it's especially important that we be those kinds of people that are, uh, express gratitude and bring praise to God. Why is it that important, especially in stress? I think one of the reasons why is that in the midst of stress, you and I have a tendency over the next 10 days, especially, I think, to get tunnel vision in our own lives and in our own little world and in all that is lacking and all that you wish could be removed from your life, right? All you're going to wish is just to be on that day on the other side of finals when you're done and you walk away from this place that you've loved all semester but you've hated over the last 10 days and you just want to be gone, right? And over the next 10 days, I think it's what's going to be vitally important. What I want to be characterized of your lives is that you guys will be the kinds of people that even in the midst of that, would be grateful for all that God has done. I want to challenge you guys over the next 10 days that you guys would take moments, that you would take time, that you would save it away, that you would take opportunities just to reflect on the goodness and the greatness of God this semester. What have you seen God do? Carve out some time, even in the midst of studies this week, in the midst of the pressure and the stress that you're in, to give God honor and to give him praise for his excellencies and all that you've seen him do this semester. 
And I think what that begins to do, do for you is it begins to change your perspective and your paradigm and it begins to get you off of your own little world and off of the pressures that you're feeling. I think there's something that's intuitive about stress and pressure that makes us kind of go inward into survival mode and into where we just see our world. And what praise does, even in the midst of stress, is that it broadens our perspective. It causes us to see wider and it causes us to have a whole different attitude. And that change of perspective leads not just to a change of mindset, but that change of perspective inevitably leads to a change of practice. What the writer of Hebrews will do next is he's going to say that you and I are to offer sacrifice not just of worship, but of works. And he wants us not just to bring fruit of our lips, but a fruit of our limbs as well. And so he says in verse 16, he says, And do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. The writer of Hebrews calls them to a, a lifestyle of sacrifice in what they say and in what they do. But notice he really draws their attention into one particular work that he wants them to do. He says, doing good and sharing. But one particular thing that he's really drawing their attention to, I think, here in Hebrews 13 as they close out. Remember, this whole chapter is about the theme of love. And it was what he's going to say over and over again to them here is that in the midst of stress, when you can get tunnel vision in your own life, don't forget and don't stop looking outward at those around you. In the midst of stress, we, we kind of cave in in survival mode and begin to see just our own worlds and what the writer of Hebrews is going to call them to. And also the, the writer Peter in First Peter is going to call us to look outward. And so First Peter again says to his audience, keep fervent in your love for one another, just like Hebrews 13 has been saying over and over again, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. In the midst of stress, you and I ought to have our eyes still peeled and focused out for one another and not just going tunnel vision, looking in our own lives and our own little world and our own pressures. And so the writer of Hebrews is calling them to have a different perspective that would lead to a different practice. Uh, ultimately, I want to challenge you guys as you guys walk through these next 10 days to be looking out for one another. Uh, your tendency will be to tunnel vision, to look inward, but to keep your eyes peeled out for one another and how you can be a blessing to those around you. So maybe that's coffee runs for your roommate. Maybe that's uh, bringing lunch for a roommate who's stuck in a library and can't put away. Um, it doesn't matter what it looks like, but just to have your eyes peeled. How can you be a blessing? How can you love the community that's around you? How can you look different through finals and through the stress that you guys are about to enter into than everyone else? Everyone else is going to go tunnel vision and lockdown, and I want to challenge you guys to have your eyes peeled and be looking out. Another great way, I think, that in the midst of this season that you can have an opportunity to bless those in need is that we have about 40 students who are being sent overseas this summer to Greece, to East Asia, and you have an opportunity to partner with them. And so uh, I'd love for to challenge you guys as they're raising support right now, 40 students who are raising financial support so that they can be sent out this summer. Uh, I'd love to challenge you guys to consider even giving to them. So they're all raising their support. They're all grinding right about now, trying to finish off their support while also finishing off a semester. And so if your heart would be be led and you'd have a desire to give towards some college mission trips, you can simply make a gift and offering uh, in a black box in the back and in the memo line, just write college missions and be a great opportunity for you to participate and to partner in what some students even here in our midst are going to be doing this upcoming summer. Uh, we commissioned those students this morning in the main services and we're going to have them and represent them here next Sunday for you guys and let you guys see them. We're going to pray over them and so there'd be a great chance then as well to help uh, provide them a gift to partner with them if you would have a surplus financially if you'd have a desire to give, it'd be a great way to to be looking out for others, people's needs in the midst of a season of stress to be a great chance and great opportunity. What's interesting as the writer continues in verse 17 is he's going to move from offering sacrifice to another topic. He's going to move from that topic to the idea that you and I are to maintain submission. That in the midst of stress, in the midst of pressure, what we often do is we get tunnel vision into our own needs, but we also begin to throw off the authority that's around us. So notice what he says in verse 17. 
Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. So he says that not only are their lives to be marked by sacrifice in the midst of stress, but their lives are to be marked by submission in the midst of stress. Submission is a really interesting throwback concept, I think, a lot for our culture. I will admit to you guys that in the midst of watching hours of the NFL draft this past weekend, my wife and my mother forced me to watch a little bit of the royal wedding, all right? So I'm uh, balanced, I I have dual interest, and I can uh, move in a lot of different directions. So I got some NFL draft, and I got some royal wedding. Now, uh, with my pastor hat and my eyes, I wasn't so much noticing the dresses and the flowers, but I did notice one thing in the midst of the ceremony itself. I don't know if any of you guys caught this, the commentators caught this, but in the midst of wedding vows, in the midst of the wedding charge, all of the talk of submission was thrown away. All of the talk of the submission of a wife to a husband, as we see in Ephesians 5 and Genesis 2, was removed. The concept today of submission, not just in marriage, but the concept of submission by and large has been jettisoned by our culture. And I think our culture has jettisoned it because they have misunderstandings as to what submission means. Submission does not mean that you are inferior to the one that you're submitting to. The fact that you're in a classroom with a professor in every way, measure, form, feels to you that you are inferior to them. Uh, For some of you guys will get married. Some of you women will be married to a husband and Ephesians will call you to submit to that husband. And yet your submission to a husband has nothing at all to do with inferiority. In fact, Jesus Christ's submission to the Father himself had nothing to do with inferiority. Jesus and the Father were of the same nature and had the same status. And one was not inferior to the other. In fact, it takes great strength. It takes great security in order to submit. And so as we talk about submission, it has nothing to do with inferiority. And yet he's going to call you and I to submit to those leadership that's been put above us. Notice, I think for us, the reasons that we often throw off submission have everything to do with us and nothing to do with those around us. The reasons why our culture and sometimes the reasons why we throw off submission to authority and to leadership often has everything to do with us and nothing to do with those around us. We throw off submission because we think that we're better than our boss. (laughs) We throw off submission to parents or to teachers because we think we, we know better than they do. We throw off submission in marriage because we think that it's a statement of a woman's inferiority when it is nothing like that whatsoever. Notice the reasons for submission in, in verse 17. Notice where the focus is. It's not on ourself, but it's on those around. Notice verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? Why are you and I called to submit to leadership? For they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. He says a couple things here. The reason that you and I are called to submit is because leadership has a responsibility and they also have accountability. Notice the role in particular here in Hebrews 13 of a spiritual leader. They are called to keep watch over those that God has put in their charge. The analogy, the picture here, the writer of Hebrews will make more explicit in verse 20 when he talks about Jesus as the shepherd. And the picture here is of a shepherd who's watching over the sheep. And the idea of the shepherd was not just that he had a little rod and he uh, sang songs about Bo Peep or whatever that song is about shepherds, but uh, the role of the shepherd was this, uh, that he was to keep watch over the sheep. He was to watch so as to protect them. And that if any enemy, if anything that was to threaten the sheep, he was to step in between them at his own risk. In so many ways, the shepherd bled for his people. The shepherd led his people and the shepherd fed his people. That for a shepherd over sheep, he bled for them, he led them, and he fed them. That was the role of spiritual leadership. And notice, though, that in the midst of their responsibility, they also have accountability and that they are those who will give an account one day. And I think as we think about submission, more often than not, I think we think about it one-dimensionally. We think about submission as that which we are called to do, that we're just supposed to be quiet, shut up, and follow and obey. (laughs) 
And I think verse 17 will take it even one step further. It is not just about obeying the submission to authority, whether it's in a church setting, whether it's in a marriage, whether it's in a classroom, whether it's within your own home and your own parents. It's not about just doing what you're told. The writer of Hebrews, I think, takes it one step further, even beyond what we normally think. And he says this, Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Notice how much further he extends this idea of submission. The idea of submission extends beyond just doing what you're told. It extends to even enabling those who are leading you to have an experience of leadership that looks different than it ought to. In fact, that your responsibility is not just to follow and obey, but your responsibility underneath the leadership God has put above you, whether that's one day in marriage, whether that's in a home, whether that's in a classroom, or whether that's in a church setting, is to follow underneath that leadership in such a way that their leadership experience comes with joy and not with grief. In fact, your role as a leader isn't just to do what you're told, but your role as a leader is to support, to encourage, and to enable the leadership that's above you. And so even in in a lot of the organizations on campus, sometimes you're being led by someone who's maybe one year older than you. Sometimes who's someone who's actually younger than you. And your submission and your response to that role and that authority, so to speak, in your life isn't so much about whether you're just going to do what they're told. It's not so much about whether they're more capable than you or whether you're inferior to them. The the response and, and the growing moment in it is that you have an opportunity to help them even develop as a leader. Your opportunity and your response to leadership says everything about you. It's not just whether you'll do what you're told, but the question is, will you go even further and will you be a joy to lead? Will you enable, will you encourage, and will you even support the leadership that's above you? I want to ask you this semester as you've walked through this year and the leadership that's above you, whether that's in a church setting again with your parents or in a classroom setting, have you obeyed and have you followed well? And in following well, have you even gone one step further and have you enabled the leadership that's above you? I want to give you guys a few questions to kind of think through this that I think really are are telling. One is this, do you follow or do you often try to escape authority? Is your response to authority typically to remain under it and to be uh, respectful or are you often trying to subvert and escape out from the scope of authority? A second question I'd love to ask you is, are you a joy to lead? To those who are leading you in a classroom setting or in a church setting or in a home setting, no matter what that setting is, in a parachurch or in a campus organization setting, are you a joy to lead or are you an absolute pain in the neck? (laughs) Are you the kind of person that's always pushing and always pushing back against a leader? Are you the kind of person that's always encouraging, supporting, uh, at times challenging, but by and large encouraging and a joy and a refreshment to lead? What kind of follower are you? I think for some of us, we can be quiet and just do what we're told. But the greater challenge, the greater remark, I think sometimes is seen in how you enable, how you equip, how you develop, and how you encourage the leadership that's above you. I, I will argue to you that submission to authority for me is the single greatest marker of spiritual maturity. Submission to authority for me is the single greatest mark of spiritual maturity. How you respond to authority and sometimes authority that is, is not that capable, that is not that seasoned, that is not that experienced, sometimes says more to me about your maturity than any other thing. Your response to authority is huge. But it's not just a marker of maturity, even more so I think it's a developer of you as a leader. The best place that you can be trained and developed to one day lead is by following. If you cannot follow well, you will not be able to lead well. If you cannot follow well, you will not be able to lead well. In fact, I want to ask you, for those of you who are in leadership, let me ask you, do you lead with humility or do you domineer? Do you lead with compassion and softness as a servant or do you domineer and throw authority around? 
On the flip side of that, uh, do you lead uh, and at times actually recoil and pull back or do you lead with confidence and you lead with humility? Uh, often I think as we kind of talk through following and we talk through leading, I think these topics are absolutely huge. I think they're gigantic markers of your spiritual maturity. They're also gigantic training grounds for you to develop as a leader. And I say that because I think as we look at these concepts of following and leadership, one of the fascinating things to me as we look at this is that uh, back all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, what we find is that these roles were messed up entirely from the fall. Back in Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve ate the apple, notice the curse that God gave to the woman. So the woman, God said, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Uh, let me uh, submit to you guys there that uh, when God tells Eve that her desire will be for her husband, this is not animal attraction. This is not our eyes meeting across a crowded room and hello, all right? Uh, this is something a bit different, all right? In fact, he uses the same word. This is why I kind of quoted it uh, later on in chapter four. We find, then the Lord said to Cain, sin is crouching at your door and its desire is for you. In Hebrew there, the idea of desire is not animal attraction. It's not some kind of physical lust, some kind of attractive thing. It is a desire to control and consume, all right? That is, look at Genesis chapter 3, what we find within the relationship between man and woman within marriage, as it's going to be portrayed through every realm of society from there on after, is that the realm and the roles of leadership and following got thwarted, got messed up entirely, The reason why you and I often don't do very well at following and at leading, no matter our roles and no matter our maturity, is because from the fall, this got all messed up within us, all right? From the fall, what we find is that Adam will still rule, but he's going to rule as a domineering one. He'll either domineer or he's going to pull back passively like we see also in the garden. Um, He doesn't protect, he doesn't take responsibility, and so when they fall into sin, what does Adam do? He blames not just Eve, but he blames God who gave him Eve, who caused him to eat the apple, right? Adam doesn't take responsibility. He just pulls back. And as we look even at them and we look at our own lives, in the midst of the conversations of following and leadership, submission and leadership, none of us do this well. We all struggle, no matter our role, no matter our lot. And it's because of the fall, it's because of what's happened to our sinful nature, that in the midst of following, we always, at times, in our pride, think we could do better. And then even when we lead because of insecurity or because of fear, we will either control or we'll pull back in fear and recoil. None of us do this perfectly. And then in the midst of stress, especially, we especially struggle at it, right? In the midst of stress, in the midst of pressure, Israel constantly throws off not just God, but even their God's appointed leadership over them. In the midst of stress and pressure in the next 10 days, it's going to be likely that you're going to have a hard time honoring the very teachers who are going to put you through all kinds of stress and pressure. But what does it look like if you walk through those roles entirely differently in these next 10 days? If you walk with sacrifice and if you walk with submission, it will look really, really different. And yet it's really, really hard, which is why the writer of Hebrews, I think, ends with a note, not just about what he's calling them to, but about how they're to pull it off. Sacrifice and submission at the very core of what they are are contrary to where our nature takes us. At the very core of who we are, whether we've come to Jesus Christ or not, we don't sacrifice well, we don't submit well. And you put us in a stressful situation, we are all the more likely to go survival mode and to look at just our own interests and to throw off leadership. And so especially in stress, especially in pressure, he's going to land us back in verse 20 with some comments about our resources as to how we're to pull these things off. Notice what he says in verse 20. Now the God of peace who brought up up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, will equip you in every good thing to do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. What's the writer of Hebrews saying as he closes out the book in verse 20 and 21? 
Ultimately, as he talks about the shepherd, I think he's talking about the support that you and I have as his sheep. And the support that you and I have is a shepherd who died on our behalf, whose blood was offered on our behalf. Blood that we've been talking about all year long is to the blood of this great high priest, the blood of this great shepherd who died on our behalf, who took upon himself the penalty for our sins so that we can have an eternal long relationship with him freely. And all we have to do is trust in him for the forgiveness of our sins, believe that his son, Jesus Christ, died and was resurrected, showing that he had the ability and the power to overcome death and to forgive sins. And simply, if we'll trust in Jesus Christ, we can have the confidence that we'll have forgiveness of sins and we'll have eternal life. But really, the, the focus here in verses 20 and 21 is not necessarily as to the blood of the lamb. It's not necessarily to the blood of the shepherd, but it's to something different. Uh, and really, where the writer of Hebrews ends here is not necessarily to the blood of the shepherd, but the fact that this shepherd didn't just bleed for us, but he equips us. Notice he says, now the God of peace, and he gives you a bunch of filler stuff that then it says in verse 21, now the God of peace will equip you. (laughs) What the writer of Hebrews is trying to help you and I understand is that in the midst of stress and pressure, we have a God of peace who's going to equip us for every good thing. And in the midst of stress and pressure, he will provide peace and he will equip us to walk sacrificially and to walk in submission. And he'll do that on our behalf because the very power that raised him from the dead has been made available to you and I. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, he hasn't just wiped uh, your debt clean, but he's also provided to you a whole new set of resources and particularly the spirit that has been indwelt within you so that you can walk and you can fulfill that which he's called you to. God doesn't call us to that which he's not equipped us to do. In fact, as you look through the scriptures, by and large, the commands of the scriptures are actually implying our inability to do them. You and I, whether we've trusted in Jesus Christ or not, cannot fulfill that which God has called us to. That's why we need one who steps in our place and takes the payment of our sins upon himself. But even more than that, we have one who's not just paid for our penalties, but he's also stood in a place and and enabled us to now walk out just that which he's called us to. The very spirit of God has indwelt you and I so that we can walk and we can live with the resources and, and, and fulfill that which he's called us to so that he ends up being pleased with us. The shepherd bled for us. He equips us so that he can be pleased by us. As we wrap up this semester, as we wrap up this book, I think this, this book has been incredibly challenging, incredibly deep, incredibly uh, tr- problematic at times. And, and by and large, I think this book gets right between our eyes and just needles us at times. This book is not a touchy, good, feely book. Uh, this book makes you uncomfortable. This book pushes you. This book pushes us in the, even in the midst of hard moments. And it asks us for even more. And what I love, though, as this book wraps up is that it reminds us yet again that what God calls us to, he equips us for. And that which he equips us for and that which he, we, he sees fulfilled in our lives, he then rewards us for. He rewards you and I for that which he equips us to do that we could not do on our behalf. How amazing is that? That he enables us to do that which he calls us to, and then when we do it and we fulfill it, then he rewards us for it. How good and how gracious is God? To not just provide us the free gift of eternal life, but then to provide us the resources to fulfill and find satisfaction and meaning in life. And and I loved opening up this morning with Chamilla's story because I think we get a fresh reminder that Jesus doesn't make life completely easy. But in the midst of life that remains at times, sometimes even more difficult, Jesus still provides a joy and a peace and a satisfaction and a meaning and a thrill that we find nowhere else than in Jesus. And what I want to do this morning as we finish this book and as we finish this morning is just have a time of worship. Uh, the guys are going to come back up as we kind of wrap up a little early this morning. We're going to have a chance just to respond and worship to the Lord. So as they come back up, we're just going to have a little time as we close out this morning. I just want you guys to have a chance to reflect on all that God has done for you this semester. 
How have you seen God move? How have you seen him respond to you? What have you learned about him this semester through this book or even through the things you've seen God do personally in your life? Who has God showed himself to be and what have you seen him do? As we wrap up, I hope you have just a chance just to respond to gratefulness as to who God is and what he's done on your behalf. And as you remember some of the fresh themes of this book as to how good God is, the fact that Jesus is better and that Jesus is enough. Father God, we give you great thanks. Uh, We thank you for the security of the cross and that in you we have ground that is secure and that will not shake. In the midst of the changing circumstances of life, we thank you that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Father, I thank you that in the midst of our own struggles with sacrifice, our own struggles with submission, I thank you that we have one who paid the cost for our sins, who stood in the place that took upon himself the penalty for our sins, and I thank you that we have one who has not just bled on our behalf, but has equipped us. Father, I pray that you'd enable us to walk with sacrifice. You'd enable us to see our brothers and our sisters uh, in their needs. You'd give us a mindfulness towards them. Father, I pray that you'd allow us as well, in the midst of the authorities that you put over us, to submit well, to be a joy to be led, um, to be refreshing even for those that lead us. Father, I pray that you'd allow us to follow well. And in places that you give us leadership, Lord, I pray that you'd allow us to lead with humility and to lead with compassion. And that we'd lead with eyes that hurt for those that uh, walk with us, Lord. And Father, I pray that you would cause us um, to walk differently. Lord, I pray that our lives and our community and our church would look different as even as we walk through these next 10 days. Father, we ask for these things this morning through your Son and by your Spirit. Amen. You guys, thanks for being here this morning. We will see you guys next week.